natural disasters, events of 9-11, school shootings, uh, car accidents. What do they all have in common other than being tragedies in many cases? But who's always there? First responders, right? Our law enforcement, our medical teams. Hello? This is an encouraging message, by the way, but I'm building, okay? <laughs> but no, we have these events that have happened over the years and even daily unexpected events, and there are always first responders there. I looked up a definition, a general definition of what a first responder is, uh, and it, in the uh, dictionary it said, first responders are people who have been trained to respond and assist during crises or certain events. You know, many heroic stories came out of the events of 9-11, right? Um, one that really kind of seared my memory over the years has been, you know, when the Twin Towers, the infrastructures were being compromised for the reasons why we know with the planes. Here you have firefighters running up staircases with smoke probably coming in their face to save lives and tell people to go downstairs. You have in... Um, in Columbine, the shooting in Columbine, you had police officers uh, barricading a classroom in an open hallway, knowing that around that corner, as they were evenly exposed, that the perpetrators were looking to expand their shooting spree. They were first responders there to help and save lives. Uh, even in 1987, I was in a, a pretty bad car accident and probably should have died, not looking for sympathy, but that was the reality. Um, but I have a, th a first responder to thank as well who came to the scene and uh, helped save my life. You know, we want to honor first responders and know really the crit critical role they play in events and situations. I would say the objective of any first responder is really to usher in the best possible outcome in any situation. And let that stick with you today because that's what I'm really going to be diving into a little bit more. Uh, but that is really their objective, to get the best outcome in any situation. You know, what I'm going to talk about more in today is not some huge revelation, but I think uh, as I continue to talk, there's just more things that we understand that are really connected than we realize in life to bigger pictures of things that we deal in life. One of the first responders or first responses to humanity was basically when God had to respond to Adam and Eve, right? Imagine if he was a little impulsive, a little angry. We probably would not all be here by now, right? But he knew to how to respond in a responsive way, and now that helped gave hope for humanity and eventually ushering Christ to redeem us. But that was probably the most first critical response to mankind was when God had to look for Adam and Eve and ask him the question, what'd you do, basically? So I would propose to you today that if you are a Christ follower, you know where I'm heading, God wants you to be a first responder in your own life, okay? Not necessarily the natural responders I just talked about in, in major crises, but the points when you're in your daily life where there's opportunity that Christ needs to shine in you and through you in certain situations, right? You are that first responder. 
One of the major anchors I want to have for today is a definition that, yes, I created about being a first responder for Christ. And I'm going to repeat this a few times through our time today. Uh, I believe a first responder for Christ is a trained follower of Christ that in any situation that is asked of them or demanded of them, they will usher the best possible outcome through their response. That's mission critical. It really is. I do, um, I did this before. So who would like to help me read some scriptures off a TV up there? I know the hands are just raising up, like all together. I remember my uh, classroom, uh, first grade, uh, when nobody wanted to answer a hard question, and they picked me, and it's like, oh, God, why me? But let's try and do that right now, because nobody's raising their hands. <laughs> I'll do it, Steve? Yeah, all right. All right, so basically I'll just point to you and we're going to read some scriptures on the screen. You don't want to hear me this whole entire time, guys. So thank you, Steve. We are going to jump right in. What better way to look at how we should respond as Christians and followers of the Christ but by looking at Jesus, right, and how he responded? So we can uh, look at a few scriptures. Uh, we're going to start out with John 5 and read one through 8, if you could put that up on the screen. John 5, 1 through 8. Steve, it's all you. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. That's good. Thank you, Steve. So that's fantastic. So it's a story we've heard. He healed the person in front of him. What I want you really to focus on today, or in this scripture, this contents of this scripture, is Jesus knew what the man wanted, but he gave him what he needed, right? Because he's there saying, in, in the response of the cripple man, I can't get down to the water, basically. All right? And Jesus is saying, well, no, I know that's what you want. You want to get down there. But as a first responder, I know exactly what you need and ended up healing him and obviously could go down to the pool. So as first responders and what Jesus saw, he kind of saw the aerial of the picture. What is the need in that person's life? Not exactly what they want. We also learned this, and we don't have to put it up on the screen, but in John 4, well, the, 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 the good Samaritan, the, um, excuse me, the uh, Samaritan woman that was by the well and that Jesus encountered, right? I mean, the Samaritan woman was like, I know what this guy's going to say to me, right? He's going to read my laundry list and then probably tell me to get out of my way. I'm putting, you know, I, I'm me, Jesus, I'm going to go put a bucket in the well. No, but Jesus knew what she needed, wasn't going to sit and give her a laundry list of what she thought in the long run and ended up 
to blessing her to go, and she ended up evangelizing her town. Again, he responded to her overall need, and that was the need of her soul and her spirit, what she needed at that point. Uh, if we could also read uh, Matthew 19. Steve, this will be you. 16 through 30. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Hallelujah. (laughs) Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Steve. So it was interesting. The dynamics here is... You just pictured the scene, Jesus talking to this rich young ruler. And to be honest, these disciples probably knew that he was a rich young ruler. And like any of them being disciples and knowing the importance of having money to fund your ministry, I think they were probably very anxious for Jesus to say something completely different to this rich young ruler. So maybe he would give tithes and offerings to that ministry um, that they were about to start out with. But he answers that rich young ruler in more of an internal question, as we know, and what he needed to hear. But he also noted the disciples needed to hear that same thing. It wasn't what they wanted at the time, but it was that response that was so important. Thank you, Steve. Another story that we all know about is in Mark 4. You know, the disciples and Jesus are crossing the waters, and a storm comes in, and Jesus is snoring in the back, and they want to come wake him, the Son of God. They want to go wake him up. So I don't know about you, but I have trouble waking my kids up, my, my, do- my wife up. I'm just careful about how I wake people up. But by the reply here in the scriptures, 
you know, these disciples almost attacked Jesus while he's snoring away saying, hey, teacher, you want us to die or drown here? I mean, what a reaction that is, right? An impulsive reaction. So he calmly obviously gets up, knows what needs to happen at the time as they respond her, and talks to that storm and says, storm, be still. Another, another thing as we saw moving along in scriptures too is John five nineteen. If you could put that up, I can read that, Steve, real quick. It's I'm giving you the long scriptures. I'm taking the easy ones. So, all right. So this was just to set the premise here. I mean, Jesus has been in full time ministry, re- responding to a lot of things that were coming in front of them, and a lot of people watching on the sidelines, the Pharisees, and even the disciples, and just how does Jesus always respond beautifully? to things and changing the best possible outcome in a situation. Is he listening to the best podcast of the day on his iPod? Is he, is he getting a life coach that's really helping him along? So they kind of asked him, Jesus, you know, what is your source here? And he says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. That's his resource. That's his comfort. That's his answer for all his responses that he did in his full-time ministry right in that scripture. I think that's pretty cool, you know. I mean, Laurie, so imagine if we can tap into that source, you know, and doing that. So let's drill down a little more. How is this? I'm blabbing away. How does this drill down into our daily lives a little bit more? Because how many of you, I mean, we can all be honest. In our daily lives, things come against us, right? Things that are speaking to us, how we're going to respond to things, whether it's through people, events, anything, we have things come against us, right, where we have to respond. I broke it down to four different settings that I think this can happen in the most, okay? Four different settings where it gets noisy. People are asking for your response or different situations, as I just mentioned, One is solitude. It's when you're by yourself. Sometimes you're your worst enemy, but it's when you're by yourself sometimes. Things speak to you, right? And social settings would be the next three. Social settings are family, right? Aren't they always needing a response to you in some way, whether you're a parent or a kid or whatever? Uh, The other is in your work setting, too. Something's always going to be talking to you to respond to something. And then believe it or not, right here in church, right? <laughs> Out of most places, yes. So I'm about to get a little more analytical, so I hope you've had your coffee today, or you just got to bear with me to get, you know, you have your caffeine. But I want to analytically break this down. We have those settings that I just talked about, but there's two areas of where the output comes, okay? The setting spark that you need to make a response to something The output is in two areas. One, internal. It's your mind. You were born with it, right? It's your mind. But if you're a believer, a child of God, hopefully that spirit is equally competing and wins over your mind many times. Okay? But they both talk to each other. So internally in your your solitude, in your space, in your settings... You know, an example, you could be about to go pray in the morning and, and the enemy or even it's just your mind is wandering saying, ah, yeah, you're going to try and be a follower of Christ today. Do you know what you did yesterday? You know, but those are things that speak to you. And how do you respond? How do you respond? Or if you're on um, the wonderful world of social media, 
Okay, here's an example. And you're on your mobile device scrolling away. And you see somebody you don't like. Let me rephrase that. Somebody you have not liked their post, okay? That's a joke. Have not liked their post. And they're celebrating a big, neat, neat change in their life. What's your response internally? Are you being judgmental or are you celebrating with them? These are first responses to things. You have your earbuds on, you're listening to a podcast, a message, and it's a challenging message. What is your response? These things may not be like a big daily deal, but it's the small pattern of things that lead to the bigger things of how you're going to handle things in your life. They are all connected. Second output is external. This is where we get the most trouble sometimes. And it usually starts with this thing, the mouth, right? So it's internal is always going to be there, your mind and your spirit. But what's coming out of your mouth is what that response is. Is it good? Is it bad? Biblically, it's called a rudder, right? Some scriptures say it's a rudder in life. Or even physical responses where it's a fist to somebody, you know, in extreme situations of a response. So just reviewing real quickly, you have four settings, solitary, social settings, which are, you know, school, work, excuse me, church, work, and um, family. Thank you. Why can I keep family out of my mind? <laughs> so, then the, so let me read this definition again that I had read earlier just to keep reminding you. As a first responder for Christ, they are a trained follower of Christ that in situations asked or demanded of them can usher in the best possible outcome through their response. There's basically two types of responses, impulsive right, and responsive. Impulsive definition, you can look this up. I didn't make this one up. Acting or done without forethought, a similar word if you look that up, uh, an emotional act. Now, emotions are great, but if they're left unchecked, they can lead places you don't want to go, right? So impulsiveness. Impulsiveness can also reflect a lack of training, right? Again, go back to these first responders we talked about that are heroic. They have training in what they're doing, right? In the Bible, it says that the, in the Bible, it says the tongue can be untrained at some times, and that's that external output. How about responsive? A definition for responsiveness is positively responding to a need or towards a situation. Another similar word is receptive. And to add a little bit more, responsiveness is training to be more sensitive or to look, follow me on this, to look beyond current elements. So not what's just the pressure in front of you, but also look around what the big picture is but also being aware of everything at the same time. All right? Let's explain reaction, because I always thought reaction was a bad response. When you have a, somebody about to throw a water balloon at your face and you duck, that's a positive response because you didn't get hit with the water balloon. So reaction is not always a impulsive response. It can also be a responsive thing, especially driving a car. If you're about to get in a car accident or something and you swerve, those are positive reactions. So again, there's really only two responses. It's very simple. Impulsive 
or repulsive. No, I'm sorry. Impulsive or responsive. All right, do we have any drama majors in the room? Ones that actually went to school, not life drama majors. Drama majors. Anybody. I don't know who's going to raise their hand today. I am setting you up, but come on. No? I'm going to start picking. All right. I want to go over probably three or four real-life examples. I'm going to have the scenarios. And I need you, and I guess there's no drama majors because I I knew they could act very well um, in this, but I need them to give me an impulsive response. Very simple. It's not complicated. Gary, come on, man. Can you come up here? Yeah, I want to use you. I know you're putting that. So, yeah, you please. You're going to do a plot for it. I'm just kidding. All right, so I am going to give you, and thank you for coming up on your own free will. Uh, I'm going to give you like three different scenarios, and I just need you, whatever comes off the top of your head. Yes, right? Comes out and be, give an impulsive response. Impulsive. All right, first one. It's 7 a.m. in the morning. You've got to be at work at 8 a.m. in the morning. You're looking and you cannot find your keys. Your gluten-free waffle that was in the toaster is burning because, again, with gluten-free, you don't, wanna, you don't have to cook anything long. It doesn't taste like anything either. But, so that's burning. You finally trip over your dog. You have a dog now. A dog. And you find the keys that are hidden near the trash bin. You grab the keys. Don't have time to turn. You do turn the toaster off. You run out the door. Get in the car. You're on the highway. I'm I'm almost done. You're on the highway. Somebody's tailgating you. And the tailgater then proceeds to come out to the left and come in front of you, cut you off to get to their exit. What is an impulsive response in a solitude place? And be clean. What is that guy's problem? That's real. Good. Awesome. Good. So that's a repulsive response. Okay. Good. Second one. Your family member calls you for money, which is okay, but it's been the fifth time in a year. Impulsive response. Why doesn't he do something about his problem? Good. No, that's good. Good. I like that. All right. No, that's, that's, was that really what you would say? Yeah. yeah. See, see, no, that's what you said. That was imp- He said, get a job. That's an impulsive response. Thank you, Gary. I'm getting it out of you. I love this. All right. Your boss at work just decided, decided he or she needed to let your coworker go. Days after that, comes to you and said, hey, we had to let your coworker go. I know you're busy. That's how things start. I know you're busy, but could you pick up some of their work? Impulsive response. And usually this is in your mind, so this is probably what you wouldn't say to the boss, right? No. (laughs) See, that's good. Awesome. All right, give Gary a hand. That was great. All right, awesome. Well done, sir. Thank you. Ooh, I do have another one. I forgot to give. Well, I'll, I'll handle this one, I guess, because I didn't give a church setting because these are from settings that we were talking about. So imagine, I got to get a drink for this one. So, yeah. So imagine if you're in church, you're just done after praise and worship. The birds are singing. Everything's beautiful. 
and Sister Sally comes over to you and says, hey, we need to pray for this church. You see all the empty seats in this room? We've had so many changes. So many changes. Do you think any of us know what we're doing here? Meaning the pastors and different things. What's, a, what's an impulsive response? Keep in mind, when you get kind of those, there's usually a little agenda driven in them, but, but what do you say? Impulsively. Yeah, I noticed there are very, very, very many seats. You know what they say about so many changes. I don't know who they are, but you know what they say about so many changes. So those are things that come at you, though, in different ways. And they may seem simple, you know, like that you're not running up a staircase at the Twin Towers to respond. But these are little things that can lead to bigger things and different things in your life. It is so critical as a first responder in Christ to understand that you are called to not also influence yourself, but those around you, too, for certain reasons. So it's very critical. So let me get back to that definition again. I know I'm going to keep pounding it today, this definition that I made up, but I think it's truthful. First responder for Christ is a trained follower of Christ that in situations asked or demanded of them can usher the best possible outcome through their response. So let's get a little even more real world. We're Christians in the busy, noisy world outside, right? I know Michael Jr., just to bring him up, I know he has this joke where he calls, there's certain people that can be oversaved, just oversaved, you know? Not being mean, but they can be oversaved. So imagine, I'm not talking about this when you're supposed to be a first responder to the world in Christ, that you are to read, you know, the Bible every year. And in those 10 months that you read all the Bible, the last two months you live in the book of Revelations, run out the door, put a soapbox on the corner of ignorance and arrogance and preach the gospel, right? That the sky's falling. And again, we are in tough times. But how effective you are being for a responder at that point, right? I'm talking about being first responder where the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. And in that inside of you, that you could be anywhere in any area, that your spirit is sensitive to hopelessness in someone. One individual at a time sometimes. You know, if you hear somebody in the coffee shop and they just say something that seems hopeless, you know, you're not pulling out your Bible and commanding an audience, but you are just, God will lead you to be a good responder in those areas. And it may lead to praying with them. It may be simple as smiling the first day, smiling the second day if you see them, and encouraging word in the third day, and then God will lead it from there. But these are responses that are all asking for us around us as believers in a lost and dying world. All right, I want to look at two biblical examples of two men that were called to be first responders. One kind of didn't respond well the first time, but came around finally. Can we put up uh, Acts 9 and read 1 through 20, if you could? It's about Ananias. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. 
He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. So here you have Ananias asking God, Do you think you have the right guy? This is his first responder response, right, in his prayer time. I don't think this is the guy you want me to go out of my comfort zone and go lay hands on it. That was his first response. But over the scriptures that they kept going, he obviously understood what, you know, God was asking. Imagine if he kept that first response to him and what Paul ended up doing and influencing thousands and continue for Christ and his ministry because of the obedience. Again, it came down to the obedience in his response of Ananias. So that's just a great testimony there. Thank you, Steve. Another example, uh, Pastor Mike so eloquently uh, went over last week, was about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, can you go to Genesis 22.7, please? Just 22.7. And this is obviously where Abraham is going up the mountain to sacrifice his son. Twenty-two seven Genesis. Thank you. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, 
the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? So great, right there. So just imagine being the parent, right? It's not like they had a helicopter back then, drops Abraham and Isaac off so he can go right to the altar and get this thing done. This is a journey. This is a climb up a mountain. And you can just probably understand Abraham's thought process internally as he's getting up to this mountain. And then as they start getting close, then his son actually has to ask that question. And I believe his first response was his best response because it didn't go until verse 8. What was between verse 8 and 7? His silence. Silence can be a response at times, and we need to know that. It's a very powerful tool. Because silence, if that's your first response, may give you time to articulate what you need to say and can avoid foot-and-mouth syndrome sometimes. So basically in verse 8, and you don't need to go there, but I'll, I'll just read it. It's, it's pretty much God will provide the burnt sacrifice. That was his first response, Abraham, to his son. But it's so crucial. Imagine if he just lost it in that response. And that goat was waiting up on the mountain and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they may have never gotten up there in time, right? So it's so crucial to do that. As part of what we were talking about earlier in, in this definition I created, it is so important, we know this as believers, to be trained to respond well. And that's pretty much what we're talking about. But this is nothing new from this pulpit in your, in your devotions every day. You know, what is training? It's just growing in your relationship more with Christ. It's that simple. Training is an ongoing thing. There's nobody that knows everything and gets to a pinnacle in their life as a believer. We know this. But training is an ongoing thing. Who are you responsible to train if you decide to be that follower of Christ? You. Not your hypocritical parents. Not the misbehaving teenager. Not the whatever spouse. You. You're responsible to train yourself a.k.a. growing in your relationship with Christ. As you continue to grow in that relationship, you will continue to walk in wisdom and understand how to respond to things as you're outside in the real world. You know, some of the, some of the days, that people, some of these new believers, they get in and they think it's a title and entitlement is Christianity. It's none of those two things. Christianity is a lifestyle we have to do, have to do every day if we're choosing to follow Christ. Right? You know, my, my walk with Christ, and I don't get it right every day, but it's pretty much in this order. How am I growing in my relationship every day? And again, we've heard it from this stage. It is nothing new. But in my order, as I start thanking God the first thing in the morning, because once you thank Him, that leads the bridge to everything else to come follow, right? But it's not revolutionary. It's just thank Him. You thank Him, then you get in the Word pray, worship, then at some points, shut your mouth and be quiet because sometimes he wants to talk to you, right? Sometimes we get too busy talking to him, you know, which can be good, but then he has no word in edgewise and we get busy and go somewhere else in doing that. Really, the goal is don't, <laughs> see if I can articulate this well. We need God's grace. It's what brings us to that altar. But in the, as you continue to grow, and being a Christian, you need to seek his righteousness because his righteousness is learning to know his nature, okay? And in his nature is his moral compass and how you should live. 
I would rather live in that. Imagine living that 24 hours a day. I'll take two hours sometimes just in a day, right? But you want to strive for his righteousness. Grace is powerful. It's good. It gets you to where you need to go. But seek his righteousness. Because in that righteousness, you'll know how to respond at any time of the day that you need to do that. Pastor John has been talking for a while, and we have been around here for a while. Guard your heart, right? In Proverbs 4, we need to guard that heart. So getting into some of the training, what does that look like? Uh, I have just a few scriptures we can go through that uh, helps in training uh, and how specifically we are to respond. So Proverbs 3.17, if you could put that up, Proverbs 3.17. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Then I thought I had in there a gentle answer. Is that 18? Sorry. Maybe my gentle answer turns away wrath. Maybe that was in 16. So, but the point of this is gentle answers can turn away wrath. Imagine being in a high volatile situation and your response is a gentle answer. How about Proverbs 14.29? 14.29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. So anger is a container of a volatile response. And in the long run, the biblical term is foolishness. How about Psalms 19.14? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Awesome. Thank you. And again, and when you get into, you know, learning to train, growing in your relationship, you need to always appraise, appraise, not praise, appraise where you're at. How's your anxiousness? Do you have a lot of it? How's your anger? Do you have a lot of it? Got some fear hidden under the couch somewhere? Do you have a need to feel so significant that you actually have to be the first responder in everything? How's your attitudes? Do you have a lot of defensiveness? These are containers that can live in our heart and affect everything we do in responding to different situations. A praise. Part of training is a praise really where you are. God knows where you are, right? But the great thing about our God is he never leaves you where you are. And he always wants to grow you where you are. Even in Philippians 4, it talks about be anxious for nothing, right? Uh, James one nineteen. if we could have that as well, too. Read that in responsing. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Awesome. Great. And then uh, James uh, 1, 4 through 5, if we could. James 1, 4 through 5. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Awesome. So even just asking for wisdom in your training period of reading these scriptures, you know, really building a trust for God in everything you do. Another key thing about response is, is uh, to take appraisal in is how your patience is. 
Patience is more a place than it is a timeline. You'll get that when you get home. It's more a place. Are you in patience? It's like that joke or, or the scenario of the, the son uh, that wants dessert, and the dad says, you need to wait for it patiently. And he comes back and says, I am waiting, but how long do I have to be patient? Okay? Patience is a place. And patience, if you can walk in that, gives you a lot more clarity in how you're responding to different things. Then ultimately, continuing the thought of training here, and this is really deep. I'm still trying to figure this one out. And I don't think a lot of us are there yet, and hopefully we can get there to be encouraging. But ultimately, our goal as followers of Christ and in our training and learning how to respond, we need to be poor in spirit. That sounds exciting. The Bible and Matthew 5 says, and this was Jesus talking, Jesus said, blessed if you are poor in spirit, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? He's not talking about a financial issue. He's talking about where your spirit is not attached to anything but what God would be about in your life and God, what God would do in your life. Meditate on that. Imagine if we could get there. It's amazing. Being not attached to anything. I'm so one with the Lord walking in his righteousness that issues that come in front of me, whether they blindside me or they're preparedly, I see them down the road, I am going to respond the way my Lord and Savior wants me to respond because in my spirit, I'm only attached to him, nothing else. It's something really meditating. And that's Matthew 5, and these are Jesus' words. So this other thing I'm about to say can seem like a bumper sticker. You know, we hear it in the Christian world and everything else. But value the truth in life of God's word. It is true. Problem in training, and, and we don't feel like we're in training or we're not growing, is we are mistaking applications in the Bible for connotations in our life. Applications are true. You apply it. It's going to work if it's what God says. Con we may take that same truth and put it into a connotation and intentionally in our mind think that that's nice. I know it. And put it in the back of your mind that you don't have to exercise it. Be very careful about the two. It's a, Bible is an application of real life. Sometimes we are called to respond to something again and again and again and again, and it's like a, a wave crashing against the rocks. When is it going to end? Finances, family issues. So it's so key to be training in life so you know how to respond to these things. Because sometimes how you respond in critical moments to these waves that are crashing against you will create that trajectory to maybe getting you out of what you're going through. We're responsible for who? Ourselves, right? And what we do. Training as a believer is so key. And again, it's just growing more in your relationship with Christ. That's all it is. I want to read a song. I just, music's powerful, right? So powerful. And this, this song that I'm going to read, I'm not singing, I'm going to read, all right, is a, a song that we probably all know, but it is a great response to God when storms are coming. And I'm going to try and get through it because it's pretty powerful here. I was sure by now 
God, you would have reached down and wiped my tears away. Stepped in, saved the day, but once again, I say amen, that it's still raining. As the thunder roars, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I am with you. And as your mercy falls, here's your response. I raise my hands and praise the God who gives, and I will praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands, that you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. I remember when I stumbled in the wind. You heard my cry. You raised me up again. My strength is almost gone. How can I carry on? If I can't find you, as the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I am with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives. And I'll praise you in this storm. And I will lift my hands that you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear that I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. I will lift my eyes unto the hills. Where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will lift my eyes until the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will praise you in this storm. A lot of repetition there, but very important. That was by casting crowns. But that response of praising, the first response of praising in that storm will change the direction of your future in a good way of what God wants you to do. So when you're training in your training and growing in him, learn to trust him more. That's probably the biggest underlining thing. As I said earlier, you know, in external that we're talking about, internal, external, you know, in these training things, guard your tongue too, not only your heart, right? It's that rudder that can get us into trouble if it's not untamed. Psalm 103 is a great daily confession. Lord, put good things in my mouth. Simply as that. There was a wise young bunny in the movie Bambi. What did, what, did, what did Thumper say? If you can't say anything good at all, don't say nothing at all, right? Did you listen? <laughs> so watch what you're saying. Another great thing in your training process of being a follower of Christ is it's very vital to have a time and do reflective thinking. Our society, how busy it is and noisy it is, it's not conducive to you to take time and reflective think on some things of the past. All that means pretty much is look at scenarios or situations in your life. How did you handle them in the past? Were they encouraging or were they not encouraging? Can you live? It's not condemnation, but can you learn from them? John Maxwell once said, uh, reflective thinking is like a crock pot of the mind. Not crack pot, crock pot. Think about that. Mark Twain said this, follow me along. We should be careful to get out and experience all of the wisdom we can. Not like the cat that sits down on a hot stove lid. She will never sit down on the hot stove lid again. And that as well, but she will also never sit on a cold lid as well, too. Chew on that on the way home. 
Are we learning from our experiences? Reflective thinking is very important. Some of the reflective thinking may force you or push you to see where you might have burned some bridges in life in your responses. What do they say about burned bridges? Not easy to cross again, right? It's not rocket science. They're burning. So maybe there's some reflective thinking that you can have how you've handled situations with certain people, and you may have to go and confront and confess. Say, I'm sorry. So why does that have to do with my being a first responder for Christ? That has everything to do with it, because if you're not healing in those areas, it's going to continue to affect in these areas as well, too, the wholeness of everything. So it's very important. In our life, things happen. Like I said, it's just busyness. Everything's talking to you. Everything's demanding a response. People will irritate you. People will irritate you, maybe even deviate you, uproot you from what you think you should be doing, which forces our response. What is your response in those situations? And then in a solitary um, setting, you know, sometimes you're your worst enemy. Do you have some habits you need to appraise, some bad habits, trying to quit smoking, learning to love more, being less judgmental, being less judgmental, less complaining. These are things you need to appraise because up here, if you're not trained enough, you will always continue to respond to those things. So if I had an addiction to underwater basket weaving, just to say... And every time I walk by a pool, I want to jump in and start creating a basket. I know I'm an extreme example. But if it's bad for me because I have a short lung capacity, right? These are habits that I need to respond to if I have those urges. I don't know if you can actually do that, but underwater basket weaving. So how about this declaration that some of us make? And it may feel true. But these are declarations. How are you responding to this in that solitary setting? I'm tired. I've had enough. If there was only 25 hours in a day, I'd get more done. Those are declarations. How are you responding to that internally and in your spirit? You need to redirect those responses. You may feel like it. That's the truth. But again, as a first responder, you're handling situations to produce the best outcome possible in your life. Seconds count in many of these responses. They really do. Just a side note, if, if God ever wanted to go into an Apple store and buy a, what do they call the iWatch, the Apple Watch, right? What time would it always tell on that Apple Watch? Again, here's the creator of the universe that's not governed by any time. That time, every time he would turn it to pop up, would say Now. Because that's the time he lives in. That's the time he's present in. Are you present in the now? First responders are aware of their now at all times and what they can or can't control. But now is so crucial. Not yesterday, not today. It is, but it isn't to the degree of what are you doing now and how you're responding to things. Pressure can be a wonderful incubator of impulsive responsing, right? If we're under pressure. So try and avoid it if you can. So it's taken me a long, long, long 
long time to figure out that at the end of the day, God would rather me respond responsively to things than impulsively. I know I've been saying that, but it's taken me a long time to get through this skull to do that. And training is so important to better position yourself for that. So let me revisit the questions or the life scenarios I gave Gary. You don't have to answer them again because time's of the essence. But So what if, and I'll take the lead, I guess, what if I was more responsive in those scenarios than impulsive? So remember the first one, we're late for work, car's tailgating, cuts us off, goes across the medium, goes to the exit. What's your first solitary impulse, impulsive, no, excuse me, responsive response would simply be, I pray for safety for that individual. Simple as that. These seem simple, but when they, you get into the crisis of things, what's coming in you is coming out of you. I pray for that person. I'm not taking it personally that they were an idiot and they almost cut me off. It's not about me. It's about that person as a follower of Christ. The family member, I have to think about this one, that calls and wants money, and it's the fifth time in a year they've called. Mine would be get a job, Gary. That would be my impulsive response. But it would be the responsiveness is like, I really, I, I, I'm thankful that you know I care about you, that you would even call for the fifth time. But what can we do to help you grow in what you need to grow on to be more sustainable and not rely on other people. They may not receive that the first time, but they'll receive it if I haven't given them money yet, right? Responsive way of doing that. The boss fired the, your employer, your uh, coworker, says I need you to do some of their work for a short period of time. I haven't scripted these. I'm just thinking on the top of my head. Um, responsive way would be thank you for treating me as a valued employee that you know I can do this. But if we can check back sooner or later, we'll see how I'm handling it, but I'm always willing to be a part of the team. Simple as that. Simple as that. The church one, empty seats. Oh, boy. Let's see. So somebody, Sister Sally comes to you and says the, the seats are empty more and more, all these changes, I'm worried what's going on, we need to pray for the church. All right, well, if you have a lot of questions, here comes some sarcasm, if you have a lot of questions, this isn't the Vatican. These are not Swiss guards that stand up after service, go see a pastor Go see an elder and address your concerns. Yes, change, a lot of change can be unchangely, but it's probably for a good purpose. And we're not the perfect church. And scripturally, it says, yes, we need to pray for our church. Simple responses as that is, we'll, we'll, so imagine the person that's getting that. Oh, yeah, you're right. It isn't the Vatican. I can go talk to Pastor John. I don't need to kiss his ring. I just, hey, what's up, Pastor John? I had a concern. Can we just chat like normal human beings? You know, and I do see it occasionally where people do a lot of soul steering and talking to one another without getting true facts of things at times. Get the facts. Think for yourself. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, it'll all work out, right? 
So I want to talk about two movies. None of them are good, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, two movies that represent uh, situations where, where the characters responded in this. They're very clear how it happened, okay? One is a serious movie called Toy Stories, okay? And we're going to show a clip, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm going to try this in church, show a Toy Story clip. But I want to build to the clip, okay? This is the movie, if none of you know, had kids, they're animated toys that are apparently alive, right? And they can talk and stuff. So in this situation specifically, um, the characters Woody, Jesse, and a few of the others have been bought at a yard sale, their owner's yard sale, Andy. I'm serious. This is what's happening. I'm trying... You're going to be laughed out. Um, they've been sold at a yard sale by a guy who manages a hotel. And what he does on the side is sell these toys online to make, a mo make money. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was kind of deviant how he knew the value was and what he paid for at the yard sale. So the scene that we're about to see is you have most of the toys that are locked into this cabinet of glass. And they just witnessed their fearless leader, Woody, get put in a box, taped up, and is about to get shipped out. Fortunately, Jessie is not in the case. She had fallen out, okay, so she can respond. But this clip, it's cute, but there's, look at this. It's the same situation that all these characters are dealing with, but they all handle it in different ways. And it's very key in being a first responder. Could you play that clip? Do now we're all gonna end up in a box. Wait, that's it. J Jesse, say that again. Say what? That we're all gonna end up in boxes? Not us. You. You're gonna get in a box. What? Listen, in a few minutes, the delivery lady is gonna come back through that door and take the other boxes, and you're gonna be in one of them. It's the only way to free Woody. No, no way. I, I can't. I can't do that. I can't get in a box. I can't. There's gotta be another way. This is the way. You better snap out of it, soldier. We're running out of time, and you're the only chance we got. No, I, I can't. <laughs> Jesse, what? listen to me. Remember your training. But I don't have any training! Well, forget about that. When Combat Carl gets stuck in the jam, he says to himself, Combat Carl never gives up. Combat Carl finds a way. Now say it. Combat Carl never gives up. You're not Combat Carl! Oh, Jesse never gives up. Jesse finds a way. I can't hear you! Jesse never gives up. Jesse finds a way. Yeah! Oh, one more thing. Keep it down. I'll try. Summon Transitron. I need to use this box. Transitron free? Yes, that's right. Here, give me your hand. But, uh, how can I ever repay you? Seal me in. Uh. Okay. Here goes. Are you sure about this? No, not really. My Globatron's ghost, you shall be remembered. Alright. Transitron, separate! Anything else? Uh, 
Well, the plan seems to be working. So far, so good. I forgot the tape again. What? No, no! Ah, that's it. When are we going to get out of here? Nah, Jesse never gives up. Jesse finds a way. You're good to go. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Don't forget your bag, Bonnie. We're leaving in two minutes. Excuse me, coming through. So you can see, you know, it's cute and funny, but all those different toys responded in different ways. Obviously, Combat Carl was the one that really led the way to make sure that Jesse responded well. But isn't it critical under these different pressures to keep that way of how we are responding to everything around us is so crucial? And ended up, the clip goes on, but he, she ended up taking the paperclip and freeing Woody and happily ever after the ending there. So, But that's just something to look at, how situations come. It is the same situation to many, but people handle it different. Like I think the dinosaur said, we're never getting out of here, you know, things like that. Another movie, I'm not going to show a clip, but this is a very powerful movie as it relates to how we respond to situations in our life, is The Pursuit of Happiness. You remember that, Will Smith? I'm going to read the synopsis real quick. You know, to just kind of do a breather of it here. But it was, it was a true life story of Chris Garner, who Will Smith played. Will Smith is a bright and talented but marginally employed salesman in 1981. Struggling to make ends meet, Gardner finds himself buying into a new product, a mobile bone density machine. He sinks his whole life savings into it to later find out the demand was not there for this product. In financial ruin, his, life, his wife leaves him and their five-year-old uh, son. After all these financial troubles, soon thereafter, they are evicted from their apartment in San Francisco and have nowhere to go, sleeping in homeless shelters and public bathrooms with his son. Despite everything against him, he would, wouldn't, would continue to respond forward to change him and his son's life for the better. His dream for happiness had to be pursued. His dream for happiness had to be pursued because it was not going to fall on his lap. With all the struggles and perseverance and patience, he finally landed an intern job at a prestigious stock firm. After committing to it, he only realized it was not a paid position but an internship where he would not be paid. But he could work towards a paid position in the future. The day finally arrived where he, his continued forwarding response was greater than the situation, and it led him to a full-time job. He became one of the leading salesmen in the firm and went on to owning his own 
sales firm in the future. So everything that went against Chris Gardner, Will Smith in the movie, he was able to continue to have that forward response. And it got loud. I remember the scene, just him and his son sleeping in a subway bathroom because they had nowhere to go. But he kept his focus on how to respond. So it's a very powerful movie if you have not seen it. It's mission critical to understand you have the power to navigate with Christ but he needs you to respond in the way he would respond to things, meaning Christ, in any situation. So that's pretty much in the training of, you know, being a follower of Christ. You know, ultimately, you know, we have to answer the ultimate response for our life. And we preach about this a lot, but it's what is your response to what, how God loves you. It really is. It's everything. It's important how we respond to people around us, how we train ourselves, but at the end of the day, how are you responding God's love for you in a daily, daily thing? I did want to show one more video, and we're going to be wrapping it up soon, but this video really articulates what God did for us, and how are you responding to it? Could you play that next video? Why? Why? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why forsake the majesty and fellowship of heaven? Exchanging a palace for a stable. Immortal comforts for a feeding trough. And robes of glory for the feeble body of an infant. An unparalleled irony, this supreme, unrivaled nobility experiencing absolute and total humility. Our sovereign God, Emmanuel, as a baby. He didn't come to heap shame upon sinners, or to judge and cast out the impious, but to break bread with those called unrighteous. He didn't come to illuminate every mystery of the cosmos or to enlighten the intellectual, but to fulfill the testimony of prophets clothed in rags. He didn't come to elevate a single nation or to advocate a particular political affiliation. He came because he saw you broken in need of salvation. He saw you lost and abandoned. Crying out, surrounded by deaf ears, fighting through the tears, but beaten down by the torments of this world. And unable to bear your distress, he renounced his eternal throne. Walked the earth. Bore the stripes. Accepted the nails. And gave up his last breath. So that you could receive the breath of life. holy, infinite God, beheld your pain, perceived your heart, and determined that your soul was worth dying for. From the manger, to the cross, to the empty tomb, it is all a story of profound love, of a Savior who rescued his children from darkness of a blameless king who declared that no sacrifice was too great 
for the sake of his beloved creation. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came for you. What's your response? You know, we can say we've made a decision for Christ, but the decision is just the beginning to respond in your daily life. So I'd encourage you. Did you guys get anything out of this today? Yeah, okay, thank you. I just want to pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your people that are in this room, Father God, and that you love them so much. Lord, if there's areas in their life that they need to trust you more and train in you more, Father God, so they can be first responders for you in their daily life, Lord. We have a darkened world out there that is longing to know your love, Father God, and help in our daily lives as believers to continue to understand how mission critical we are to your plan, Father God. Let us not forget that. If we build our own sand castles on our own term, Lord, wipe them down so we can only build your kingdom on this earth, Father God. It's not worth it. Holy Spirit, continue to encourage us to grow closer and closer to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.